You're listening to the Morphology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Morphology Podcast, aka Murph here, to share interviews about biking experiences from cyclists who have pedaled to places all over. Each week, we'll get to know new people and explore new destinations to ride your bike. As you listen to these adventures, you may wonder, why haven't I done that yet? A quick side note, if you want more bike adventure stories, in addition to the Morphology podcast, I am also a co-host over at the Just Go Bike podcast. We focus more on the fun side of cycling, and most episodes directly relate to Ragbri, which I'm sure that you know is the seven-day bike ride across Iowa that occurs every year in late July. Today I'm going to tell you about Emory Pass. It was just a year ago, in late March of 2022, that I rode my bike up and over it. It was day 17 of my ride across America. We had been celebrating warm days with temps in the 80s. Elevation was challenging, but not difficult. And our daily mileage was averaging about 55 miles per day. We started this great 3,000-mile journey across the United States on March 12th of 2022, where we saddled up in San Diego, California, riding what is called the Southern Tier, with the end destination being St. Augustine, Florida. It took us about 65 days, and it was both a bucket list kind of adventure, but also a fundraiser, raising money for Alzheimer's research. It was my friend Jenny's dream to marry her love of cycling with honoring her mother's long battle with the disease, Alzheimer's. And it took probably about five seconds for me to agree to join her. Soon after, our mutual friend Todd joined, and our core crew of three often grew to multiple riders as other friends would join us for a week or two here and there. Day 17 consisted of myself, Jenny, Todd, and also Rob. Rob had been riding with us for about a week, I think, and he was set to go home the next day. Those three are really strong endurance athletes. They all race and ride in epic events like Ironmans and Leadville. My experience with this crew is more on the social side of riding, and it was a treat to get them all to slow down and enjoy everything that was happening. Of course, they're all data-driven, so there was still the nightly chatter about Strava and heart rate and such. We got to look at all kinds of spreadsheets, but it was also full of laughs and lots of goofiness. For example, a week prior, we had enjoyed a couple days of rest at an RV resort where most residents live there year-round. I was convinced it was a cult. They invited us to their St. Patty's Day dance at the community center, and there were times when we were completely surrounded by retirees asking about our religious and political views. They even locked up our bikes for I'm putting this in quotes, safekeeping, as they said, to make sure the bikes would not get stolen while we were there. And all I could think about was that episode of Portlandia, where the couple are at a restaurant about to order chicken, and they decide to drive to the chicken farm to verify that Colin the chicken had been 
raised properly and had a good life. And then poof, five years passed and they were still there. It was a cult. Of course, almost everyone at this RV resort were nice, friendly, harmless. I'm pretty sure it was not a cult and we escaped without having to go to church or a political rally. Every day of the ride across America had its own adventure with unique experiences that often have a feel of you had to be there to understand. Seeing America from a bicycle is an experience I will never forget. And man, if you ever have the opportunity, please take it. The terrain, the people, the cultures, it showed us how big the United States is and just how small each of our personal worlds are. If you've been a Murphology podcast listener, you already know that I've recorded several episodes about my adventure. If you haven't listened, I'll put a link to each episode in the show notes. So take a listen when you have the chance. Back to day 17, we had been biking across the state of New Mexico for two days at that point. And this was the day we planned to ride up and over Emory Pass. I think at this point in the adventure, we had biked a handful of days with over 3,000 feet of climb, but this was going to be the big day with over 6,000 feet of climb. On the way, we first passed through a cool town, Silver City, that had all kinds of bike art and this huge outdoor space where we hung out for lunch. We also found a bike shop and probably spent much longer there than we should have. Back on our bikes and just outside of Silver City, there was this massive open pit copper mine. I read that it is the third largest in the world. Of course, we had to stop and check it out. And in front of the mine, there were these plaques um, telling us about the history of the area. There were also these massive tractor tires that were partially buried in the ground with warnings not to climb on them. Um, of course, we had to climb on them. My photos show we went through Hanover, but when I looked it up, the population was less than 200 people, so that's probably why I don't recall seeing an actual town. Same with San Lorenzo and Kingston. Emory Pass is in the Gila National Forest and rises to an elevation of over 8,000 feet. I believe it's 8,228 feet above sea level. And Bicycling Magazine once listed it as one of the greatest climbs in the country. Now, the pass is named after General William H. Emery, who explored the area in the mid-1800s as part of a U.S. government expedition to survey and map the region. Emery Pass is a popular destination offering scenic vistas, hiking trails, opportunities for camping, fishing, wildlife watching. The area is also known for its diverse bird population. I did not notice the birds or did any fishing, camping, or wildlife watching, but wow, the views from Bicycle were spectacular. This pass is located on New Mexico State Road 152, which is a scenic byway that, as I mentioned, is in New Mexico and runs through the Black Range Mountains. It connects the towns of Hillsboro and Kingston. The road is known for its steep grades, tight hairpins, and to add to my anxiety, no shoulders. The stunning vistas make it a popular route for scenic drives, which means traffic was moving at slower speed, which is good since there were so many blind corners. 
Riding a bike across Emory Pass can be a thrilling and challenging experience due to previously mentioned steep inclines, hairpins, and scenic turns. I looked it up, and here are some things to keep in mind if you happen to add Emory Pass to your bike it list. First off, fitness level. Riding a bike across Emory Pass requires a fairly good level of fitness as the climb is steep, long, and of course can be strenuous. Cyclists should be prepared for this challenging ride, not only for the strenuous part, but also gear. Make sure you have the appropriate gear for the ride, including a very good quality bike helmet, bike gloves, padded shorts, comfortable shoes. Also, you need to carry plenty of snacks and water as there are limited service, dare I say, no services once you are on Emory Pass. Also, pack a few extra layers. The weather in the area can be unpredictable, so it is important to check the forecast and be prepared for changes in temperature and precipitation. Temps changed drastically on the day that we went. Of course, safety is also important. You need to be aware of traffic on the road. It can be very narrow and winding. And like I mentioned earlier, no shoulders. We did wear bright clothing and we used our lights all day to improve visibility. I was overly cautious on those steep drop-offs and rocky terrain along the route, but I assume most riders with my same ability would do the same. And then, of course, you've got the scenic view. The ride across Emory Pass offers stunning views of the surrounding mountains and valleys. So make sure if you do this ride, give yourself enough time to take breaks and take plenty of photos. So my experience riding Emory Pass it was a steady grind going up. The climb averaged about 5% with a couple of small sections that increased all the way up to like 11%. I don't recall it being all that hard, just a constant state of being uncomfortable. We basically just all geared down and settled in for the long climb. The views were breathtaking and as you're steadily climbing, we had plenty of time to take it all in as we made our way to the top. I only recall a few homes sprinkled here and there, and once we started climbing, I really don't recall any businesses, just scenery and the occasional vehicle. We got to the top, I think it was about 6.30, and our support vehicle and driver tag was there waiting for us. At the top, the wind was whipping and the temps had dropped significantly. And oh, how I wished we had warmer layers waiting for us in that support vehicle. Of course we didn't. We barely took the time to get a group photo before we jumped back on the bikes. It was kind of a cold that I haven't experienced much and prefer not to experience again. It was like bone chilling kind of cold. And once it hit me, there was no warming up until we were done riding for the day. I'm sure many of you have experienced that same kind of like bone chilling cold. I did manage a photo in front of a sign describing the famous Silver Fire. The Silver Fire was a destructive wildfire that occurred in the Gila National Forest back in June of 2013. This fire burned over 138 thousand acres of land, destroyed 12 homes, and forced the evacuation of several communities in the area. 
The cause of the silver fire was determined to be a lightning strike, which ignited dry vegetation in the forest during a period of drought and high winds. The fire quickly spread due to the dry conditions and rugged terrain of the area. The Silver Fire was one of several major wildfires that occurred in the western United States during the summer of 2013, which was one of the worst wildfire seasons on record. The fire was eventually contained after several weeks of effort by firefighting crews from around the region, including the use of helicopters and air tankers to drop water and fire retardant on the flames. Despite the damage caused by the fire, Luckily, no fatalities or serious injuries were reported. I don't know what the area looked like before the fire, but you could still see plenty of evidence of the destruction. And then the terrifying descent began. It was tight hairpin turns and drop-offs, so steep, I couldn't even look without getting woozy. On top of that, it was so cold, I felt as if my brakes no longer worked. Now, I didn't realize I have a legit fear of heights until a few years ago, even though I always said I was fearful of heights. It's one thing to say it, and yet another thing to be so terrified, your muscles in your body lock up and you can't get your mind to stop imagining the worst possible scenario. Go back to 2020, I went on a mountain bike adventure through the San Juan Mountains. I'm, I'm glad I went, but oh my... There were so many cliffs and drop-offs and sketchy stuff, it was not my cup of tea. I prefer solid ground and guardrails, please. It was way beyond my skill level, but once I was out in the middle of nowhere, well, it was all about survival. I'm happy to say I did survive. And then in 2021, I got invited to go to a mountain bike skills camp for women and thought, this is perfect. I can learn to be a better mountain biker in a safe space. Well, I didn't quite make the connection for some reason that it was a downhill mountain bike camp, which meant, you guessed it, it was on a mountain. Like the kind of mountain bike camp where you have to hook your bike on a chairlift to go up the mountain and then ride a bike down the same mountain. What the heck was I thinking? I remember one particular section that got me good. It was literally a straight, flat section across the mountain, nothing technical, but it was completely exposed. No trees to hide how far we were up there. All I could think about was one wrong move and I would be tumbling down with nothing to stop me. I was in full panic mode and it took considerable effort, plus a lot of coaching from the gal behind me to keep moving forward back into the false safety of the trees. I made it out of camp alive, but let's just be honest, I have since sold my mountain bike. Anyway, back to Emory Pass. As we got going into the descent, the wind along with the dropping temps were brutal. I had put on an extra jacket and gloves, but it was not nearly enough. I couldn't feel my fingertips, and as I mentioned, because of how cold my hands were, I was having trouble feeling and pushing my brakes, which meant my confidence was shot. So I was forcing my bike to go much slower than necessary because I did not want to launch off the cliff. Along with the cold hands, something that has never really happened before 
happened. The arches of my feet had no feeling like all the way through the tips of my toes. When I would step off my bike, I literally thought I had something stuck to the bottom of my shoes. I kept lifting my feet to look like what is on the bottom of my shoes? It just was making my feet feel so weird. I think they were just so cold because, you know, once we got to the bottom, got warmed up in the Jeep, they kind of started thawing out, got that, you know, tingly feeling. And eventually my feet were back to normal. Also on Emory Pass, the phone service was super sketchy. So from the top down, we decided to have the Jeep stay behind us and follow us down. Most of these tight hairpin curves had a posted speed limit of 10 to 15 miles an hour. So you can kind of guess, you know, what it was like going down for vehicles. But oh my gosh, I was so scared and also self-conscious that I was slowing the whole process down. As I mentioned, going down that mountain was so terrifying for me that several times I thought about calling it quits and just getting in the Jeep and getting a ride down. But at the very start of this adventure, we made a pinky swear that if one of us stopped at any point along the ride across America, we would all stop at that very place, regroup, and then start again at the same place the next day. I didn't want to do that. And in addition, this particular descent was so windy and steep that no one thought it would be a good idea to bring the RV on this route, which, hear me out here, we had parked the RV 70 miles behind us at a campground. This meant at the end of this day, we would jump into the support vehicle and drive that support vehicle back to the campground. Then the following morning, we would have to move the RV, the support vehicle, and all of us forward to the same spot that we stopped. At that point, the RV would drop us off and then the RV would leapfrog ahead to our next campground. And then we would bike to that campground or to the Jeep, which would pick us up and take us to the campground. It may sound confusing. Man, figuring out logistics every day was a challenge for sure. Anyway, it was decided that rather than to try to take the RV up and over the mountain, it was much smarter to take the long way around the mountain. With all of that planning already done, this meant I couldn't stop in the middle of the mountain just because I was nervous. We all had to get down to the bottom of the mountain because the RV was not going to be going on the mountain the next day. Either I had to suck it up or I had to suck it up. And truth be told, I would have been the very worst passenger ever in a huge RV dragging a Jeep around those tight hairpin curves with no shoulder. I needed to take a breath, not worry about my frozen feet, my frozen hands, and just, I actually need to take a deep breath right now just thinking about being in that RV on those tight, ugh. Okay, anyway, it didn't have to happen. That day, I knew I would regret it if I jumped in the Jeep and begged the others to keep going. So I just kept going, slowly and carefully. And luckily, the rest of the posse kept any negative thoughts about my slow progress to themselves. 
There was just no way I could skip those miles. I mean, how could I tell my story about riding across America and have to add a disclaimer of, well, there were these five miles of downhill that I was too scared to pedal? No way. Another factor that was coming into play was nightfall. I guess it helped my confidence a bit that I couldn't always see the drop-offs, but at that point, I just wanted to be done. The sun was down by the time we got to the meeting spot, which was this cute little unincorporated town of Hillsborough that we got to explore the next day when we came back. All I could think about at that time was getting warm and that I never, ever, ever wanted to ride a bike again, like ever. Well, we all know how that turned out because After getting warmed up, a good night's sleep, I was back on the bike the next day. I don't know how popular this climb of Emory Pass is for cyclists, but at that time in March of 2022, according to Strava, Jenny and I were only two of eight women who had recorded the ride at that point in the year. And at that very time, we were ranked number one and number two. Oh, yeah. So a few stats for you. The total of that day was 75.38 miles, which was one of the longest days we had riding across America. We enjoyed six hours and 51 minutes of moving time. Our average speed was 10 miles an hour, and we did 6,285 feet of climb. My Strava said the average temperature was 68, but I feel like it was probably in the high 70s, low 80s at the start of our day. And I would not be surprised if it was in the 30s, maybe even lower from the top to the bottom. And so cold the whole way down. And on top of all that, I would give this day a fear factor level 10 for me. I It's a day I will never, ever forget. Oh, and there was a random cow halfway down Just on the side of the road, I stopped to say hi, to try and get some feeling back in my feet. Like, how the heck did that cow get up there? And where the heck was it going? Somehow that cow gave me the courage to keep going. So hopefully that cow is still alive and thriving on Emory Pass. The next day, as we were driving around the mountain to get back to our launch point in Hillsboro, the wind was so fierce. The roads were extremely narrow, but luckily there wasn't much traffic, especially luckily when the hitch on the RV that was securing the Jeep to the back somehow snapped. We think it was a combo of the wind plus the crappy roads we were on that were really not suitable for a giant RV. The Jeep was now free, so this steel hitch bracket snapped and the Jeep was now free except for the safety chains and it somehow like pushed into the back of the RV. Luckily our superstar driver Tag felt it happen, saw that the Jeep was not where it was supposed to be via his rear mirror and he was able to get a stop safely. It could have been much more of a disaster than it ended up. Thank goodness we had engineer minds with us on this trip because it took some creative thinking to figure out what to do next, especially since we're in the middle of nowhere with no phone service. We were blocking a lane of traffic and had the RV, a Jeep, 
six bikes and various pieces of broken metal spread out along the shoulder. Eventually, we got things duct tape and rigged up enough to get us riders delivered to the place we stopped the day before. The RV dropped us off and then went forward to get things fixed and somehow made it to the campground about the same time that we arrived by bikes. That wind ended up totally in our favor for a lot of the ride that day. I took a video of myself coasting on this long stretch of open road, maintaining 20 miles an hour, like no pedaling, just coasting along. I can't recall where we stopped for lunch, possibly the town of Messia, but as we left town, we were chased by a pack of dogs. And when I retell the story, I describe the dogs as fierce, fast, and foaming at the mouth, and all the things that you may think about and freak out about when it comes to being chased by dogs. But in reality, it was a pack of tiny chihuahuas. (laughs) And to be honest, we could not stop laughing. Like I said, every day on that trip was its own unique adventure. And being chased by a pack of chihuahuas was maybe the perfect way to get a little mental recovery from Emory Pass. Well, listeners, that's it for this week. Email me at morphologypodcast at gmail.com if you have a topic or the name of a cyclist you find interesting. Support my podcast at patreon.com slash morphology and visit both my Facebook and Instagram pages for daily entertainment. I have more great episodes in the pipeline, so I hope you continue to be a Morphology Podcast listener. Listener.